as women of color in the movement, the demands are we do all the grunt work. And so I think of just all the unsexy stuff of organizing, the behind the scenes, the follow-up, the um, attention to detail of how things are going to be set up, of when food is delivered, of that or this. Um, and it's just assumed that we're going to pick it up. When you're working and, and feeling like, you know, things aren't moving or, mm -hmm. you know, you can't really see the end, that's okay, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because you're a part of the process, and without mm -hmm. you, you know, and and the and and your group, you know, without you, it won't happen. Like ever, you have to keep it. You have to keep moving. If even if you never see, um, like the fruits of your labor. Welcome to the Free Minds, Free People podcast. Free Minds, Free People seeks to develop ways of teaching and learning both in and out of school to help us build a more just society. It is a conference and a space where participants can share knowledge, experience, and strategies. With this podcast, we will bring you the voices of people dedicated to our freedom and liberation in education. In this episode, our beloved Mariana hosts a conversation with women who are organizing and mothering from across the island, Liza, Erica, Carolina, and me. The pandemic has heightened the need for us to center the wisdom of people who can lead us into a future that returns us to right relationship with the planet and all living relations on it. You will hear us talk about how we're taking care of our littles, the demands that are placed on organizing mothers, and the lessons that our littles are teaching us about the world. We also visualize together the world that we need for our children, where critical education, dignified housing, and a healed Mother Earth is necessary for our communities to take care of the youngest generations. This episode was recorded in July of 2019 at the 12 Years Free Exhibit of the Free Minds Free People Conference on Dakota Land, Twin Cities. We also want to take this time to recognize the trans mothers and the non-binary queer mothers who impact the world through nurturing the people who are leading our movement today. We hope this conversation offers you nourishment. Welcome everyone to our Free Minds, Free People podcast. On this episode, we have some um, women and mothers from all over the country. So we are here with Caro Valdez, um, Erica, MK, and Liza. So the first question that we like to go um, with in our podcast always is, who are you and who are your people? First, who would like to start? So I'm Liza. <laughs> My name is Liza Gazudin. I'm a mama, sister, a daughter, a partner, a friend. I'm an educator, educator organizer. I was born in New York, but I grew up in LA, well, SoCal, like the Inland Empire, if people know, that's like an hour outside of LA, um, and in a small town called Fontana, a working class town, um, lots of folks of color. And then I moved to the Bay, um, in 2006, uh, so I've been there for about 13 years, um, teaching uh, in Oakland and, and now teaching in Richmond. Uh, my name's MK. I am a Viet mother, uh, daughter, sibling, auntie, cousin, based in the Frogtown neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, and now I get to raise my baby there. Speaking of raising babies, that's that's my kid's voice right there. <laughs> I'm Erica. Who am I? I am uh, a child of the 80s. Um, born and raised in Chicago on the south side. Um, who had 
uh, a kid in 2002 and a year later moved to St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I am a mother of three, three boys. They're all amazing. And uh, I'm smiling because they're so amazing. But uh, <laughs> a mother of three boys and uh, the oldest of my siblings and um, a partner and, you know, someone who cares about the future and who um, doesn't feel comfortable being too comfortable or being complacent about um, things that need to be changed. I'm a person who teaches her kids that if there is something in this world that you don't like, it's up to you to do something about it, even if it's a small thing. An advocate, an organizer, a lover of science and art, and uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. That's such a like, big question. I always say like I'm a teacher. You know, I haven't been in the classroom for, well, not the elementary classroom for years anymore, but it's like my identity is a part of who I am, right? Like even when I'm at like the stores and I see children that aren't my students or aren't mine, I'm like, careful, or like, hey, watch out with that, you know, you might talk. Anyways, but, um, so yeah, I'm always a teacher, first and foremost. My peoples would be people's education movement. Um, they're my fam. And and so, for this episode, we we thought of inviting mothers in the movement, right? Especially um, since we we're here at this conference that um, gathers people from all over the continent, I would say, right? And it's a really important space for our liberation. And so, as a as a mother, what do you what do you think are your your needs, right? In this in this process of visualizing what liberation looks like and how do we take care of our seeds for that liberation, right? We need to, we need to have an education that's like in the reflection of our babies, right? Of our seeds, of our, yeah, of our young people. What we have is broken and it's, it's inspiring and um, moving to be here at Free Minds Free People because it's a reminder that all over the country there are educators um, who are challenging the current system that we have, um, you know, and then it's also a reminder that it's not enough, right? Because there's like, you know, there needs to be more free minds for people. When we think about what we currently have, you know, like folks are, it's in pockets, right? And that's beautiful, right? Having these like pockets of freedom um, that we, we see. But that should be the norm, right? Like that should be the norm. And I think of just educational spaces, not just schools. A lot of my consciousness was raised not in the school setting, right? Because I'm second generation Pinai, like never read anything related to, I think there was like a small paragraph and I think this is experience of a lot of folks, right? There was a small paragraph in the history book about um, Spanish, you know, the Spanish-American War, you know, the Filipino-American War, you know, but it was like literally this small paragraph um, in the larger textbook, but really didn't come into consciousness around um, the history of the Philippines and like um, U.S. imperialism until um, I was approached by some folks that, uh, some Filipinos that, you know, Pinoy folks that were at a rally, we were at the same rally and they came up to me and they were like, hey, do you want to like, can you give us your information? And then, <laughs> Like, you could come over our house and we'll, we do these, like, educational studies, right? Like, we do these, um, like, we read these books and then we talk. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I had never really seen other Filipinos um, at some of the, you know, events that I was going to. I was, like, uh, going to a lot of the anti-police um, brutality October 22nd um, rallies in L.A. Like, because I was looking for a place, you know, to... Uh, exercise, you know, my, um, like, my values and beliefs, right? Because I was going to this school that was, like, totally the opposite, you know, um, really isolating. Um, I was at a, a white Christian college um, that really was, like, just anti-me um, <laughs> and people like me. And so um, I was looking for other spaces, and I, I found folks at, at these rallies, um, and, and yeah, I was invited to just have these like, you know, political conversations <laughs> in folks' living rooms, you know, like eating chips and drinking soda and um, eating pizza and just like chopping it up about like Philippine society and revolution, right? So I think um, 
you know, raising consciousness and, like, having spaces where we can talk about, like, what's really going on. And we were talking about, like, you know, how did our families even get here? Like, what were the conditions in the Philippines that pushed us here? You know, like, what is what is the conditions of, like, Filipinos that are, um, you know, living in L.A.? And we were, you know, trying to connect our experiences to what was happening back home. And, like, that was, like, more education than I had ever really experienced in my, like, K through 12, right? I was, like, this is mm-hmm. the first time I'm, like, learning about me mm-hmm. um, and my people. And um, so I think, like, yeah, we need to generate that, right? Like, we need to cultivate that, like, where every space can be an educational space. Like, that's why I think it's important that, you know, we brought Bonnie here, and, you know, she's 19 months, but I want her to get used to being around, like, all of us, right? Like, I want her to be around, like, all her aunties and uncles, her tios and tias, right, titos and titas, and, like, just, you know, like, every space becomes a space where um, her consciousness can be raised, you know? Um, and she doesn't have to wait till she's, like, 19, you know, um, to be approached by folks like her, you know, to to have the conversation um, and learn about who she is. Mm. I first want to say that, like, yeah, I'm the mother. Ah! Yeah, right? Exactly. But everyone in Peoples is mothering with me. Um, so, like, years ago, we brought Erica Huggins to speak about the Oakland Community School down to L.A. And we got the opportunity to take her out to dinner after so we had a more intimate ah! conversation with Peoples and her. And at that point, I didn't have a kid. I wasn't even in a relationship or anything. And I said I wanted a baby, and I wanted to do it alone. And my sister was like, don't do that. It's too hard. My sister had joined us for the dinner. And Erica Huggins was like, you could do it. Like, you could do it. You just need a community. Just live with other women. And, like, you all raise each other's kids. And she was sharing how that's basically what they had to do in the Panthers because so many of the men had been locked up or were doing other work. Or, and that resonated with me. And even just here at the conference, you know, like, everyone helps me. Like, oh, do you want me to hold her? Can you do this? Can You know, it's, and I love that. I love that everyone I hand her to, I trust fully. And we have that love of, like, they're all mothering with me. Like, even here, Ed flew in with me and is flying home with me and has been tremendous, like, as the Ninong, you know, like, of just helping mother. So mm-hmm. I feel like... Yeah, I'm the mother, but everyone is mothering with me, and that's the only way I've been able to do anything that I've been doing. As a mother, my needs are, I need support, I need sleep, <laughs> um, and, and figuring out how to adapt what I've been giving to what I'm now able to give. I need prison abolition, doing away with anything that makes us feel confined and imprisoned. Mm-hmm. I need to be free of my fear of debt. I need a world where everyone doesn't have to worry about ho- a home. Everybody doesn't have to worry about food security. People are really taking care of each other. Uh, I need that prefiguration, this very regenerative economy where each one of us is sacred. I need to do my own work on myself to free up all the prisons inside of the prison mindset that I have in me, and I need others to do the same. I think one of the things that I need for me a lot is uh, time to to think things through um, from multiple angles before I make a decision. Um, And... I need to teach my kids to do the same because if sometimes you don't have all the information and um, when you don't have all the information, you're not really making informed decisions and that can be problematic. I need to, um, you know, learn when to pull back a little bit or be mindful of when to pull back a little bit so I don't burn out and so that I'm not just exhausted when I get home with my kids every day Um, because, you know, that tends to happen. You go to work and then you go do work and then you go home and you try to do the work that you need to do, cook and check homework and give out hugs and smile and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so just being really mindful of how that plays out throughout the week or throughout the month. It's, it's hard sometimes because you spend so much time trying to make a larger scale difference that sometimes you might be neglecting home in some ways. And so that's something that for me, I really try to be mindful of and something that I need to make sure I keep a good balance with because, you know, the, the number one reason I'm doing this is for my kids. Mostly. I mean, I would probably be doing it anyway if I didn't have kids. But since I do, you know, I'm just a little bit more... 
you know, emotionally involved. Yeah. I need to make sure that my kids understand what's going on and what I'm doing and how things really work and that how they think things work and how they see things working on television or on YouTube. You know, I have to, a lot of times, um, just take, take space and, you know, make space to have real conversations with my kids, even the young ones, and answer all their questions. Cause you know, I need them to I need I need to know, you know, for me to feel safe myself that they are understanding, you know, what's really happening. And that they also, you know, feel like that what they think matters and that their questions matter. My six year old has a weird question. We're gonna talk about that weird question. Cause, you know, that's just how I am as a person who likes science, you know, who you you have to ask questions, but also as a person who remembers being a kid and, you know, remembers sometimes the grown up assuming that you wouldn't understand things or that you don't know what's going on when you really do. Because I remember that and, you know, I had such a childhood that I kind of remember a whole lot. Um, I make I make it a point to talk to them. Um, as much as I can without giving, without like overloading them about whatever they want to talk about and um, explaining what things that are going on that might affect them in um, ways that are not always obvious, right? Because kids pick up on, they know when I'm upset, you know, they'll come and say, oh, I heard you and dad arguing. Oh, we wasn't really, well, we were, but it wasn't a big deal. But the point is that they heard it, right? And so rather than letting them go off and make assumptions about what's going on, I'll go talk to them about it, right? So that they know that, you know, and feel, so that they know their value, they feel valued at home, that their opinion is valued, that, you know, I know that everything that goes on in the house affects them, that they feel a certain way about it, and that all that matters. Because if they don't feel like that at home, they're not going to feel like that when they leave the house. So, you know, that's something that, you know, the way that I that I am, something that I need for me to make sure that I do for them, for me to feel safe mm -hmm. as well. As Erica is talking, and as Erica is talking about making that time to sit and center her, her children's questions and inquiries about the world, thinking about the demands that everybody else in the world has of Erica. And Erica, to me, is so phenomenal because she balances so well all these different things. A lot of mothers who are committed to doing work to shape change that we have absolutely no control over while mothering, to really figure out that question right, of how we as parents organize from our position and place. What I know of Erica and Erica's work and what I know about our, our, our shared work together, mm -hmm. maybe, Erica, I'm going to kick it back to you if that's okay. <laughs> like, what does the world demand? Like, on top of what you just shared, right, about what your, what your children and, and um, your children's development, healthy development demands from you, what else has the world, de what, what does the world demand from you? And then maybe, Liza, we could talk about you know, what does the world demand from you in the Bay Area? And how do we negotiate that space, mm -hmm. right, of mothering in the movement? Yeah. So tell us a little bit, you know, about the work that you do. Because, I mean, I also admire deeply the work that you do. I see your work. I see you. And so, yeah, tell us about that and tell us about those demands that you feel. My nine-to-five job is um, at the Science Museum. I do community engagement. Science Museum of Minnesota uh, for the Access and Equity Department, which is just over a year old. Um, and um, in that role, uh, what I do is, I guess one of the things that I'm tasked with is um, reaching out to a particular group of uh, community members that are considered underserved by the by the museum, and um, you know, work helping to make the museum a more welcoming place for them, um, helping make sure that the science museum is actually out in the community, and. Um, actually just going out to invite people in because uh, institutions like that, you know, in certain communities, there is sometimes a, a disconnect and it's not always welcoming for various reasons to certain groups of people. And so there's that. We I also do have done or still do housing advocacy work. Um, so more specifically around um, the homework starts with home um, bill, which was a legislation to provide funding for uh, housing subsidy for homeless families um, with the aim of making sure that the children remain stable and can um, be effective and learn in school and so that there's not a disruption in their education because they're not stably housed. 
because um, you can't, I mean, you can't really expect a kid to, to go to school and think about school when they know that they're moving around and they, they know that they may not know where they're going to sleep tonight and they know that their mom is stressed out. They're thinking about everything else. Because, you know, the children know, like I said before, they know what's going on just like everybody else does. They're not oblivious to it. Um, and so just doing a lot of work around um, being at the Capitol, talking to legislatures, testifying because I was also previously homeless. And I was also the word has left me, but I was also a participant in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, for two years, I just got out of it. And so, you know, it's something that is really important because thinking about that, you know, honestly, and. And a lot of times people don't always correlate housing with education. But, you know, from my own experience, when we were moving around a lot, it was really hard for me to get my kids to school because I was staying with different family members who lived in different cities, suburbs. And, you know, if my car wasn't always working, if I didn't have gas money because I was also unemployed for a little while, which is how I ended up being homeless. I lost my job and kind of thought I was going to get another one so and I didn't. You know, during this time, while I was moving around a lot, my kids were late for school a whole lot um, or they just missed school because I couldn't I couldn't get there and that wasn't my top priority at the time. Like, you know, they weren't going to die if they didn't make the school. But I had to make sure they had someone to sleep or I had to make sure they had some food. So that was my top priority. But my when one of my kids ended up being truant, and then I had to go through um, the first level of truancy and go have this appointment, have them give me this talk, which really kind of teed me off because it's like, you know, you don't know my situation, and you obviously don't care. And um, this is just making it worse. And, you know, it just, it just made it feel like, it kind of gave you that feeling like everybody's against you right now. Like everything's working against you while you're trying to like get back on your feet. After we did get housed, everything was fine. They missed no school. They were mm-hmm. never late. You know, because I was able to be stable. They had home. They come home, did homework, lay down. You know, I, I have to hear my kids saying, my six-year-old asking me, Mom, when we're going to go home. I need to sleep. The other kids won't go to bed. I'm tired. And then the other kids tell them, like, oh, this is my house. This is my room. And a lot of stress, right? And and it's the stress that's on me, but then there's also stress that the stress of knowing that your kids are stressed, your young children, right? It's like, it's, it's just hard. Um, but, you know, I still do, like, advocacy and work around, you know, making sure that, um, that there's affordable housing available for uh, families and people, youth in Minnesota, because uh, because it's the housing here. Housing here is like it's a it's there's a big issue with it's just something that has to be done because there are so many homeless families in in and just in the Twin Cities alone that long greater Minnesota that it's ridiculous and it just and it's a it's a cycle because because of the way the housing system is set up you know it's it's set up you know thinking back to the old movies, you know, and, and of course this is it actually happened. But you see the old movies where there's a there's a guy, a, a, you know, older family, and they're they're broke, and the bank is coming to take their house, right? And they're doing everything they can to pay the bank off. And the the whole problem is that the land is uh, like a, a commodity. Like even though being able to have shelter is a basic human need. Like you have to have that to be alive. Just like any other animal. Um, the problem is that being able to have shelter is correlated with being able to have money or being able to make money. People buy land as investments. Um, they talk about, oh, you know, buy a house and then you can loan against your house. And then, you know, you got all this other stuff that you can do if you have land because that means money, right? But what if you don't can't get a mortgage? Hmm. Um, like most people, a lot of people can't. Or what if you are not working? Mm-hmm. Or what if you are, um, you know, any number of things, right? Housing is a money maker, and. There are people who care, but for the most part, it's just like any other product now, right? Either you can pay for it or you can't. If you're not paying for it and the owners, whoever the owner is, needs to make money, they're going to find somebody else to make that money. 
And then there's also the issue um, in Minnesota of unlawful detainers. You lost your job, whatever happened. You couldn't pay your rent. You didn't have anywhere to go, so you didn't leave right away. Or maybe you did, but you still have this unlawful detainer eviction on your record. Well, in, in Minnesota, well, my experience is that a lot, a great majority of the landlords will not rent to you if you have an eviction on your record, like at all, if they can find it. There are um, screening services who can only report seven years back, but they, the landlord can still, if he wants to go in and look in court records, and if it pops up, he'll say no. They'll say no. I don't. I don't want to deal with it. Um, and they also do other things um, to screen you out. So your credit has to be six hundred or plus. You have to make three times the rent. Who makes three times the rent? Who? What low income family can afford three times the rent when the rent is too high in the in the, in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? Or there are houses. Ain't no not or and there are the houses that. We'll let you in. They might require a double deposit, but the house is a piece of crap. Mm -hmm. And they charge you like it's not. <laughs> right? And it's not a healthy place for you to be, but you have nowhere else to go. So there's 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 all these kinds of things that um oh Lord. All these kinds of things that, you know, have to do with housing in Minnesota. And I'm also mm -hmm. um we're also uh, working with uh, the Head and Home Together Leadership Circle um, as regional experts, to, which is a group of stakeholders statewide that come together to work to, in some way, try to end homelessness or at least put a dent in it or at least mm -hmm. move toward that, that place you know, in Minnesota. Um, okay. So, yeah, so many things are coming up for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's Erica and guys are talking, but, um, you know, something that we get from the National Democratic Movement, right? land is life. Mm -hmm. And something that in the work that we do, really centering housing stability as a foundation for healthy development of our young people, Erica. Um, you know, I just, I, I think about the, the concept of home a lot, right? And how uh, if home is two thirds of where we spend our lives, and home is a place where you liquefy in. Maya Angelou says, the ache for home lives in all of us. The safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. What's up, y'all? My name is Farima Porkhorshid, and I'm hella proud to be a board member for the Education for Liberation Network. I think one of the things I feel most inspired by is just the countless ways that those in the National EdLib Network and family continue to resist by reimagining, building, and really sustaining spaces for the teaching and learning of freedom. It's through our local community work as well as our collective national work that we remain committed to our shared imagination for a more loving and humanizing world and for education as a site of revolutionary possibility. But for us to do that work, we do need people to help sustain us financially. Please consider donating to our independent organization. We are not owned by a foundation, a corporation, or any institution. And it's this very independence that allows our work to be driven by the priorities of grassroots educators, activists, and youth. And we're able to actively create space for local work to have a national impact. You can become a monthly sustainer, or you could just make a one-time donation at www edliberation.org. We cannot do this work or even this podcast without your support. And we just thank you in advance for any donation that you're able to give. We appreciate y'all so much. I feel just as women of color in the movement, um, there's a lot of demands placed on us, um, but uh, as a mother, what are what are some of the demands that you feel are placed on you? I think just in organizing as a woman of color. I'm um, sorry, she just discovered her voice like three days ago. 
Yes, see, as he, even right now, I'm handing the baby over to my Jenna so I can share a little. <laughs> um, as women of color in the movement, the demands are we do all the grunt work. And so I think of just all the unsexy stuff of organizing, the behind the scenes, the follow-up, the um, attention to detail of how things are going to be set up, of when food is delivered, of that or this. Um, and it's just assumed that we're going to pick it up. No, no, no she's not having it. <laughs> um, women are, have always been the heart of the work, right? In every org, in every movement, they're just not always the visible ones. It's, the men are really good at being visible, <laughs> at making themselves visible. But if you think of the work of any movement, like even when we were studying the Panthers when we started Peoples, they were the work. They were the free breakfast program. They were the freedom schools. They were, you know, so much of it. Um, they just weren't always given the mic or the center of photographs that maybe became the like icons of the Black Panthers. But they've always been there. And so I think the Peoples is just the same way um, in terms of like the heart of the work and the leading within the org. Um, we center marginalized folks, so it's been um, folks of color, it's been women, it's been queer folks leading, leading that work. Yeah. Wow, I just want to <laughs> acknowledge uh, all that amazing work yeah. and like it's being led by mothers, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, let's hear from the, the Bay Area, what's yeah. happening well, in the Bay Area, Liza? Oh, it's very, it's also very, you know, kind of interesting or weird for me, you know, to be asked the question, like, what's happening in the Bay Area? And, like, to be the one, maybe, to speak on that. Um, just mainly because I think, um, you know, just becoming a mama, like, I I specifically asked, you know, to, to step back from some work. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I appreciate, um, you know, the, the folks who have been holding it down um, so that, so that I was able to do that. Um, so, um, you know, for the about the past five years, I've been organizing with People's Education Movement Bay Area, uh, and uh, we have chapter in LA, chapter in Chicago, um, and you know, it's mainly uh, you know a lot of classroom teachers, you know, some folks in higher ed to um, you know some some folks also organizing um, like in after school spaces, but um, but mostly classroom teachers who. Um, you know, we 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 um, have been gathering uh, and you know creating space for teachers um, who oftentimes feel isolated and marginalized in their own school and like feel like they don't have other folks who are um, really talking about um, anti-colonial framework. Um, you know, yeah, what does a liberatory classroom look like? You know, and so. Um, yeah, we were, you know, or it was like a small group of us in the Bay who would gather every month and then we'd plan for, you know, the, the whole year and then, this, you know, six months ahead and, you know, uh, the next meeting. Um, but, yeah, at, at, at some point, um, you know, I, I, I think it was, I think it was in my seventh month of pregnancy um, when I was carrying Bonnie, um, I had a... I, I was hemorrhaging, um, and uh, it was four in the morning, and um, I had a like a bleeding scare, like it was just a lot of blood, and so I um, we rushed to the hospital, and um, you know at the hospital they're like it's so frenetic, so much stuff is going on, like they're telling me I'm like about to like deliver my baby, um, and that I need to sign these papers, you know, to like get an emergency C-section. And thankfully, um, our doula uh, was there and she was like, hold up, you don't need to sign anything. Um, you don't need to do anything right now. And she was able to ground us um, in, that, in that really crazy space where they were just like trying to rush us to just like do things that we didn't really have to do. Um, you know, she was like, baby's heart is fine, your heart is fine, like, all the tests are running okay, and, you know, this, like, yeah, just let's just stay overnight and see, um, and just wait. 
Um, so I'm really thankful to to our doula um, for for that. Um, and I, I bring that story up mainly because I think um, I was never gonna ask for space or like to step back because because you know just like uh, I've always seen you know all the women in my life, especially like my mom, um, they you know just work hard, right? Always work hard. Um, you know, work to the bone, right? Grinding to the bone. And, um, you know, I think that that was modeled for me. And so I, I didn't imagine myself stepping back at any point. But um, when that happened, um, I was like, okay, I think we, I think you need to slow down <laughs> a little bit. Um, my partner was like, yeah, I think you need to take a little break. Um, you know, and then of course, like all the folks we organized were like very loving, very supportive and were like, yeah, like take, you know, take whatever you need, you know, to um, to just bring, you know, Upani here to Earthside, right? Like to, you know, so she can get here safely. And so, um, and I think that happens to a lot of women of color, right? Like um, until something like, you know, big um, health-wise, uh, you know, happens, right? Some, some dis-ease or like just something traumatic then then we 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 feel like we can stop right um but you know I, i'm hoping that like um you know we're talking more about like collective care right like radical self-care like we're talking a lot more about healing and like beloved community and so i'm hoping that it doesn't come to that for for other women of color more women of color right to be able to say i need a, i need to step back or or and I think you know I stepped back but um I, I've been having conversations with the folks in our org and we were like you know um I think I'm ready to come back it just needs to look different right so like our space needs to just evolve um and transform um it's not going to look exactly the same but like I want to I want to be able to contribute and participate um with my new perspectives as a as a mama I feel like I have all these new lenses um, you know, and I, I want to be able to come back. Um, we just have to make it make it look different. So I say all that just because, like, when we say like what's happening in the Bay, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm the one to answer that question exactly. Um, but what I what I do know is that um, the Bay right now is like it, it's definitely. Um, I feel like the Bay is producing a lot of really dope educators, and I think a lot of that has to do with the pipeline work that we were talking about offline. Um, and with um, you know, there's a few, there's a few universities, but also um, there, you know, there's just like these different pipelines that are being created um, in the Bay, and um, you know, I want to shout out a couple. Um, so, uh, our professor homie, um, you know. Bikuya, uh, Patrick Kamanyan, um, uh, helped to found the UESJ program at University of San Francisco, and that's the um, Urban um, Education and Social Justice Program. And I feel like, I, I think it's in its 10th year, because I feel like I went to an anniversary. <laughs> um, and, you know, like a lot of our folks have gone through that program, um, you know, and the intent is to, uh, you know, create educators, um, you know, who look like our students, right, who, ha you know, who, um, you know, can lesson plan and, you know, develop um, curriculum um, that really speaks to the needs um, of our students, right, and, and our communities. And so, um, you know, that's one pipeline where I feel like there's, like, a lot of educators are being, like, um, supported through that work, um, you know, and I think it's it's often too that like it's it's through that then like a lot of folks are then coming to people's education movement, um, you know. So there's this like, like collective. Um, you just know like as a teacher, you're not rolling by yourself, right? As a teacher of color, as an anti-colonial teacher, you're not there just walking on your own, and you have to do everything on your own. But you know that you have a crew of folks that you can lean on. Um, and I think that's important as a teacher because we oftentimes just like have to work in silos. You're like in your own classroom and it's like, oh, dude, you have all these duties. You have everything. You just keep your head down and you just like push through. But I think we're trying to challenge that, right? Where it's like, no, you don't have to do that on your own. Like you have collective. There's like, there's other teachers 
other teachers of color who are doing the work with you and you know can support you through what you're doing. Um, the other pipeline that um, I wanted to shout out, I was talking to MK, is um, Pimarth and I Educational Partnerships, which is another organization that um, I feel greatly indebted to. Um, you know, a lot of love for, um, but you know, it's another um, educator pipeline for Pinoy Pinay students um, at San Francisco State University, and it was started by um, Dr. Alison Tampa Kubalis and um, also. Um, Dr. Arlene Daus Magwal and Dr. Rod Daus Magwal. And I, uh, 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 it's, it feels good to say their names because I haven't seen them in a while, but I know that if I ever called on them and, uh, and I needed them, I will be able to, um, to connect. And I think that's part of what the pipeline is, right? That there's like this long line of um, folks that are supporting each other, um, all folks doing different work in, in education. But um, what the pipeline is is, students from SF State, um, undergrads and graduate students, um, teach Pinoy Pinay studies in K through 12 schools in San Francisco. Um, so they get a taste of what it's like to be in the classroom, you know, because it's not an everyday class, but um, but they learn how to, to again, um, like sharpen their pedagogy and like, you know, carry it out in the class and like what it's like to support students on the, you know, social emotional level, you know, because there's like a barangay program where like, they're in groups and you know they're they're chopping it up not just about like classwork but about like you know how things are going on at home and um, like what struggles they're having on a daily basis. So um, it's just like a really dope model um, for how to like build up and train teachers um, so that and then again you know those those teachers or the pep teachers who are students um, in in. In either undergrad or, or grad school, oftentimes like go into the education fields, whether that's like to be, um, you know, primary or secondary teachers, or to be counselors, social workers, um, or you know, again, to like you know, pursue some doctoral work. So, I think one thing that I'm just like really proud of the Bay um, is that yeah, there's like a lot of teacher training going on. Um, so there's like an army. <laughs> I think. Cam says that a lot, right? That um, he wanted to build an army of teachers, right? Who could um, teach, uh, you know, teach in our image, right? Teach um, what, um, teach what we deserve, right? Teach so that we get the education that we deserve, um, that our babies deserve. Um, yeah, so I think in terms of demands, um, I feel like, okay, you know, the orgs and the school that I'm part of, because um, I, I do teach English and um, ethnic studies at a high school in Richmond. Uh, I feel like there's a, lot of, there, there's a lot of demands that can be made of me, but I feel like my communities have really supported me. Like, and I, I would like to, you know, also think of it as like, have protected me, right? Mm -hmm. um, because if not for that time to step back, I feel like, um, my health and my baby's health um, would have been compromised. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of love and gratitude for for my communities, um, you know, who held me and supported me in taking some protective time. I feel like it's important to be honest that this shit is hard. Um, it's easy to romanticize being a mom and an organizer, like, through social media, like, look at me, I'm killing it, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. Um, but it's hard. It's very difficult. And even just thinking, like, I struggled with postpartum depression. I mean, I've struggled with depression since I was, like, 20 anyways, but, um, yeah. And it's okay to say, like, no, I'm not okay right now. I'm not killing it. <laughs> I need help. I need support. Um, and like being vulnerable with folks that I love and organize with and sharing that and then being like, cool, what do you need? Like, do you need me to check in more? Do you need me to hold her? Do you need me, you know? So that's my advice is don't romanticize this. If, if you're a new mom and you're struggling to figure it out, that's okay. And don't feel guilty because somebody else is pretending it's easy on social media because it's not. They're definitely relying on others to help them too. Um. If I could just share a little story, yeah. um, 
because I was thinking back to the question about what we need and I was thinking specifically about something I've been learning from her is um, so let me back up like I think I need the the I need us to protect the world right like and I, I mean the the natural world the spiritual world right like um, the physical world um, just because she wants to be out in the world right and I think Mariana you were saying like oh yeah she just wants to be outside and she wants to run and she's like knows where she wants to go and she wants to like take off her shoes and just like jump in the water jump on the grass yeah that's what she wants to do and like one thing the the sweet story is that as we walk in the world like she says hello to everything so she's like hello water hello flower hello kitty you know and um i think you know she yesterday we were at this restaurant ethiopian restaurant and there was just like a potted plant and she went up to the plant she was like hugging the the leaves and the branches and she was like throwing her hands up in the air just like celebrating this plant you know and these trees and so you know i think somewhere along the line like we were we were like that when we were younger right when we were babies we were like yes the world is beautiful and i love the world um and i think somewhere along the lines we lose that and so i think i need a world where like all of us are taking taking up the responsibility to care for our world um and you know that means a lot of different things but like yeah uh, we should be able to go outside, right, and breathe like clean air, right, and like clean water to drink and to play in, mm-hmm. um, you know, be able to eat food that's not um, toxic, right, with chemicals, right, or pumped with chemicals. Um, so, yeah, we should be able to just be in the world and celebrate the world and like this, this beautiful world is like mama mama earth um yeah because i i think right now that's the lesson i'm learning from her right so just like really really celebrate celebrate you know the 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 world we have i took a look um so we started peoples in 2012 um and i think one of the things that i love most about that space is the humility we try to carry when we're organizing to know that we're gonna mess up that we are going to harm each other but how are we going to respond to that harm um and so like having accountability circles but having the love and the trust to feel safe enough to be held accountable um and checking in with folks like when we are harmed and being open and receptive receptive when folks tell us that like I'm not gonna defend what I did like I'm so sorry I'm not you know what I mean like or not defend but like I'm not gonna try and explain it away and intellectualize it um and I think having her has only reaffirmed that and helped me see it even more um what what has Nayara taught you? Because so far, what I've learned from her is, it's okay to want to be held and, <laughs> and, and to just reflect. Really, like I want to walk around and reflect. Is what I've learned from her. So what 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 can our children teach us about organizing? Um, she has definitely taught me patience and that it's okay, that it's okay to, to not be okay. Like, when she cries, I'm like, I know mama, I know you're upset, I hear you. Um, and knowing like, you know what, it's okay that she's crying. She can have that emotion and um, I'm not a bad mom because of that. Because oftentimes I think of like, oh, like why is your baby crying or do this or do that. It's like, you know what, she's, just not feeling it right now. Um, she's also definitely taught me about children's autonomy. And like, um, she's a very happy loving baby, as you can see. She's like chilling in your arms right now. She's very open and easygoing with most people. But there was like one situation where she was just not feeling somebody's vibe who was trying to be up in her face. And I was like, I'm gonna have to take her because she is not feeling it. 
<laughs> um, and I'm going to listen to her, right? Um, she's taught me to trust my intuition. She's taught me so much. Um, and that I'm, I'm healing through her. I'm healing my old wounds of like parenting. A non-violent parenting class because I don't want to replicate the same harms that I received from my parents. And it's exactly the way that, I, you know, I want us the same way that I know there's gonna be ruptures with her and how do I have build a relationship so that we can address them is the same way I want to organize. And so it's just really reaffirmed that. And um, I feel like she's definitely softened me and my heart in ways that I didn't know were possible. Like seeing her little smile or like just sniffing her and cuddling with her. Um, yeah, has definitely changed my perspective on and even like how I see that work. One of the things we've been, next week we're holding like a, a woke baby school. Yeah, so uh, one of our founders, Mel, is, you know, reached out and was like, hey, I want to get together. And we've been talking about starting our own school for years, but it was just like, yeah, like even that, that's that sounds so small, but it's how do we get together and collectivize the education of our little ones when we, you know, because we know what they're going to get in formal schools because we see it. Um, we often do it or are complacent, right, like in testing or whatever it is. And so how do we start to build these counter spaces where before it might have been for other children, right, other folks' children or students, and now it's like we're building it for ours too. So just even imagining what that looks like and um, how we can start to plant that within our own little ones. Mm -hmm. And as you know, just as we close up today and thinking about being here at Free Minds, Free People, 12 years, right, of freedom, as we like to call it, um, what would you recommend for mothers out there, like young mothers or mothers in the movement, um, if you could do it all over again, right, just as your closing comments? Like when you're organizing and you're engaged as a mother, right? And people look to you for leadership. Like how, how would you do this all over again? Um, I think, so I feel like, I mean, she's seven months. So I don't, I'm new to this. I'm still figuring this out. Um, but my mom was very involved and organized, right? With her communities that she taught in. And so I feel like I'm, I'm pulling lessons from that about what to do and what not to do. Um, I love that she's here. I love that this is gonna be a part of her childhood, right? Of being around other critical little babies. I love that she's going to be, like yesterday we were in a workshop about um, gender autonomy and children's liberation. And you know that all of this is gonna be normalized for her and that she won't, it, she won't even think twice when meeting others that are different, right? So I love bringing her, but it's also very hard. It's hard. But I think that's also what I learned from my mom is to know when to say I'm at capacity because I want to put her first. Um, and so like s stepping down from chairing that conference and being like, I will help plan, but I won't lead this portion of it at this time because, um, you know, just the stress, and it was, I wasn't in a good mood, and I wanna be in a good mood when I see her and spend time with her instead of stressed. Um, so yeah, just learning to set boundaries for us, and that she's a part of my, my circle, and that I have to set boundaries for her within that too. Mm -hmm. That's a struggle, because it's so hard. I have a hard time saying no. Mm -hmm. When anybody asks me anything, I'm like, sure. I would love to help with that, but like learning to be like, no. I think I was thinking when you were saying just like unapologetic, right? Like, like we don't need to say sorry. I think that I've oftentimes just like put myself in a place where I'm oftentimes like just apologizing, like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I forgot to do that. I'm sorry I, I'm a little late, you know, all these different apologies. Um, you know, when uh, I think, yeah, some of the, you know, or like 
apologizing that I need to take a little bit more time, right? Um, but I don't think we need to apologize for those things, right? I think like we should be able to um, name what what we need, and I think we did a lot of that here, right? Be able to name what I what we need and and feel good about that, right? Like it's like we we deserve those things, um, you know, as as mothers as people. Um, and I think my other piece of advice this is very small, um, but uh, babies will teach you how to be very present. <laughs> you know, you, you move your eye, <laughs> you turn your head for, you know, a second and, you know, something's broken. <laughs> or a uh, baby is in another room. <laughs> you know, so, so I think you, you learn to, like, really be present um, when, when you're... When you're with with babies, and uh, I, they require that, but I, they teach us that. Right? I think they teach us to be present, and you know, in in the age. I mean, it's funny because people are probably listening to their podcast on their phone, but like we got to put our phones away too, right? Like you know, so that we can, so that we can be present, um, you know, so that we can have real conversation, have real dialogue with one another. Um, you know, I'm not saying get rid of your cell phone, but. You know, I think there are times where, like, we should really turn off our phones and have, like, real dialogue and, like, sit in front of each other as much as possible. I know a lot of us are organizing across the country, so, you know, we need our computers and all of that. But but as much as possible, like, the more we can see each other and be in each other's presence, I think, um, is humanizing and regenerative, as folks have been saying. Um, it's when we can, like, see each other, you know, we can hear each other. We can really feel each other, smell each other. No, no. <laughs> no but we can really, but really like feel each other when we're present in each other's presence. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Liza. Erica. I think I would just say, you know, just be again, be mindful of balancing time between doing the work and being present for your kids, um, and. Uh, you know, understand or like go into it knowing that it's, it's going to be really emergent. It's not the kind of thing that it's like a, a mundane job. You kind of never know what's going to happen. Things are always going to change. And um, so just expect to expect the unexpected, so to speak, but also expect the expected. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's going to be times where something just pops up out of the blue and you just have to roll with it. And then there's going to be times where you're like, oh, we're fighting, we've been fighting for this for a year. I know what's going to happen. But you, but know that you still have to continue that fight. Even if you know, like at the end of this, you know, legislative session, things are not going to move. If you stop doing it, they'll, you know, the people in power will be like, well, good, they went away, right? But you can't let that happen. <laughs> So, you know, keeping that in mind. And then also, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I can remember the other thought that I had, but, you know, basic stuff, stay hydrated, <laughs> get sleep. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Those are essential. Make sure you eat. Yeah. Don't forget to eat. Um, and, you know, try to have fun while you're out You know, have fun while you're out there, mm -hmm. you know, doing doing the work that we do. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of it is hard. Um, a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is work that you uh, won't see the results of. You know, you think about um, the people who fought in the civil rights movement, you know, so that people, that black people, African-American people could have more rights, right? A lot of, a lot of them didn't, didn't live to see you know, the world today and the kind of change that they started, the kind of change that they made. So keep those types of things in mind when you're working and, and feeling like, you know, things aren't moving or, mm -hmm. you know, you can't really see the end. That's okay, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you're a part of the process. And without mm -hmm. you, you know, in, in, the, in, in your group, you know, without you, it won't happen, like ever. You have to keep it. You have to keep moving, if, even if you never see, um, like, the fruits of your labor, your, your, great, your grandkids will see it, or your great-grandkids will see it, right? You're doing this for you, 
Yes, you're doing it for your kids, yes, but you're also doing it for your future generations and your descendants and the descendants of, you know, everybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. So, yes, go for it. Last thing, ask for help. And don't be afraid to ask for help. <laughs> so, I don't think we could have, um, you know, taken care of Upani, love Upani, um, without, you know, the community. Right, without our community and really take bringing her here on the on the plane and like you know all that couldn't have done it without her tias you know we roll deep you know as a collective um and i think yeah that's that's the only way <laughs> so ask for help when you need it and be unapologetic about asking for help folks want to help yeah i want to help <laughs> <laughs> i love it like even yesterday at dinner, we had like a people's dinner with all the chapters, LA, Bay, Chicago. We, we were talking about reimagining what people's is going to look like now because so many of us have small children, right? And I was thinking of the Zapatistas and their, their rights of women, right? And it's like participating in the revolution and however I, I can. And remembering that, you know, it's not going to look the same. And so... Even, you know, I was chairing the People's Ed Conference the last two years and telling Ed after this year, I mean, she was two months when we had it and I had her strapped to me while I was doing all this work and um, I'm not going to be able to participate in that shape anymore. So it's like I'm still going to, you know, letting folks know, like I still will be on the planning committee, but I'm not going to chair it. I'm going to need Ed to step up and start chairing it. <laughs> um, so that I can participate in, in her life in a different way and be more present with her and be, um, yeah, just figuring out how to balance all the hats that I want to wear because I love being her mom. Um, and she brings me so much joy and she reminds me that this is why we do it because I want to build a world. Uh, MK had to go for a potty run with Sophie. Oh, you're back. back. Do you want to share some uh, advice for mothers? That was an emergence right there. <laughs> right some advice for mothers before okay, we close up. One second, one more minute, okay? Wait for five minutes. All right. Uh, so, it's like really clear for me to know that I'm a part of a continuum. I'm not, I'm here to save nobody, right? I'm not, I'm here to not solve, you know, all the problems of the world and that I have limitations and that in order and knowing our limits yes for sure so knowing your limits right? <laughs> knowing your limits so that you can actually have a fun time knowing your uh like discovering our possibilities right and that we need we are each other's oh and right now erica you can't see her but erica just made like a makeshift puppet out of some post-it notes it's just that she found on the table right and so um that's some grendel and brooke stuff right we are each other's magnitude business and bond and that I need my community, right? Yeah. That it is, community is so critical, right? In this mothering game. Yeah. Um, and that I think another important lesson that we have every right to define what our role in the so-called movement is, right? And that um, I'm gonna bring my Angelou again, right? I belong to everyone and no one because I belong to MK first. Yes. Right, and so being able to define that, being able to define how I want to mother, being able how to define how I want to contribute to movement, being able to define right what home means to me on this little, what what this little piece of earth, how I want to occupy or, or or, or contribute to this little piece of earth, right? That is all, you know, that is that is a fertile field of discovery, right? As 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 new mother that I'm leaning into, you know. All right, um, we've, we've been here for a while now. <laughs> so I really appreciate your time and also the support from the community, right? Um, thank you all for being here. We're, we'll continue the conversation. Um, we, we love that we get to capture your voices and your, and your stories, right? For, to, to bring hope to people, right? That are, are also mothers and or are thinking about becoming mothers, right? So thank you all so much. See you thank soon. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I am so grateful to learn from this incredible table of mothers across Turtle Island. Some gems that I'll be taking away with me is that every space can be a space to raise our children's consciousness. 
We need prison abolition. Women are at the heart of the work. Our space needs to evolve and transform. Teach in our image what our babies deserve. We need to protect the spirit and the natural world. It is okay to not be okay. And the ruptures initiated by our children are the places from which we want to organize. Much love to you all. Peace. Hi folks, this is Brian from the podcast team. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That would help us an awful lot. Stay free. The FMFP podcast is brought to you by our volunteer team from across the country. Renee from Ramatush Ohlone land. MK, unceded Dakota and Anishinaabe land. Mariana from Tangwa land. Kendra from unceded Wampanoag land. JR, Miwok and Yokut's land. Farima, unceded Ohlone land. Brian, Lenape land. Biba on Ramapo Lenape land. Sophia, Minnesota, Magoche. The land where the water reflects the sky. <laughs>